Institute podcast. This week, we look at a panel discussion held during our 2018 conference. Art Barter, Ken Blanchard, Vicki Clark, and Joe Nequinabe take turns answering questions attendees have about servant leadership. These leadership superstars give great insight into how you can create change in your organization by turning your mindset from me to we. We hope you enjoy. I just... I'm going to ask one question, then we're going to open it up to the audience and let you guys ask any question you want to of, of the team up here, okay? So we've, we've heard each one of you talk about the influences in your life and the influence servant leadership has had on your life. What is the, the, what is the greatest reward or feedback you've gotten from someone you've served that just added a whole bunch to that influence. You know, the story of helping people. Because you all kind of talked about the influencers in your life, right? Mm -hmm. But you guys have all taken it to the road. You've shifted in the drive. What's one of the, one, one of the stories of people that you've helped that you really saw a great transformation in? Who wants to start? <laughs> oh, ladies okay. first? No, ladies let's first? go. Right. No, let's go. I got one in my uh, head. We have a um, uh, lady in our organization. Her name is Sarah Barton. And she's one of the first people I ever um, kind of took on this journey of servant leadership uh, with me. Um, we kind of were, were in, the, in the beginning stages of it. And she really bought in and, and as, she, as she became, kind of moved up through the organization and started to get her own direct reports, you know, she would start to implement some of the same things that the two of us had kind of created for our own department. And she just kept making herself uh, better and better and um, just recently graduated from college with her bachelor's degree and then enrolled into uh, a master's program at Purdue and she, just, she credits the whole process of serving others, wanting to make herself better so that she can serve her people better. Right. And, and that constant kind of drive to learn and learn and learn, and she credits our whole process uh, uh, for that. And I, cool. I think that's just kind of a cool thing to see somebody else kind of succeed and conquer goals um, through the whole spirit of servant leadership. Yeah, cool. Oh, great. Thank you, Joe. Well, I had an experience a couple of weeks ago at the... University of South Carolina in Columbia. They had a conference for 500 students. It was a leadership conference, and they put the leadership and diversity together. Mm -hmm. So it was an interesting mix, and at first I thought, hmm, how's this gonna work? And they wanted me to talk about servant leadership and to fuse it with diversity and inclusion. So you got 500 young people, not only from University of South Carolina, they had some people from the historically black universities in the area, colleges in Virginia, and things like that. And then they did a reflection. They did exactly what you all say at the end of the day. And a young man got up and he said, when I got here this morning, I felt very strongly about a certain group of people. He didn't tell us who it was. 
He said, but I, I, I knew in my mind what I felt about a certain group of people. And he said, after hearing, and he called me Miss Vicky, which made me seem really old. Uh, and he said, after hearing Miss Vicky talk, I think I'm changing my mind. I think I want to look at this certain group of people in a very different way. And you talk about humbled. I was extremely humbled. And afterward, I went to him and I said to him, thank you. And he said, for what? He said, I got up there and basically told everybody I was a racist. <laughs> and I said, no, you didn't. You told everybody that you were brave and that you were willing to change. And I just thank you for that. Mm -hmm. That's great. Thank you, Vicki. Sure. Thank you. Uh, I have a 12-year-old grandson who's getting into golf now, you know, and I, I love it because to me, golf spells game of life first. And uh, I think God created golf, you know, because, uh, you know, sometimes you're playing better than you should. You got to deal with success. Sometimes you're playing worse than you should. You got to deal with failure. And sometimes you get good breaks you don't deserve. Sometimes you get good breaks you do deserve. Sometimes you get bad breaks you don't deserve. Sometimes you get bad breaks you do deserve. All in four and a half hours. And uh, <laughs> yeah, right. so, uh, so uh, I'm just enjoying going out and playing golf with him in these executive courses because he's just learning. And we were riding the cart a couple of weeks ago and, and uh, we stopped and he was getting out to hit his ball and he turned to me and he said, Gramps, you're the, one of the nicest guys I've ever met in my life. Oh. The tears <laughs> come down me. Because I want to tell you, it's not just about what happens in organizations. It's about your family. It's about people that are close to you. What, what can you do to serve them and to bring out the, the best in them? And to have him say that to me just really touched, touched my heart because you just hope that you, you know, God, if God told us that grandkids how good they were, they would have had them first, I think. But, uh, <laughs> and, uh, but uh, I, I just, those, those are special moments when you get people in the family or friends that you made a difference in their lives. Great. We're going to open it up here. We got some mics out there, um, and let you guys ask any anybody any question you like. Or we got we got. Uh... All right, we're good. Okay, first one is for uh, Mr. Blanchard. Any regrets? Oh, any regrets? I, the only regret I have is that I didn't learn a lot of this stuff even sooner, you know? <laughs> uh, you know, I think as you get older, you, you, you do learn things, and, but, uh, you know, as a, as a youngster, I probably could have, could have learned these better. Lord, but I've right? yeah. had a great life. I had great mom and dad. My father retired as an admiral in the Navy, and he, he didn't even have to serve, and he had went back in the... Navy he had been released from the Naval Academy in 25 because they didn't need naval officers and and all of a sudden he's about to be vice president of National City Bank and one of their vice presidents and comes home I'm one year old and says my mom I quit today she said you did what he said I quit to rejoin the Navy she said you got to be kidding me he said didn't I tell you if the country got in trouble I thought I owed it something and uh, and that's what he did and I never forget I won the president of the seventh grade in New Rochelle, New York. I came home, I was all puffed up, you know, I'm the president. 
And dad, my dad says, Ken, little leadership training begins now. I said, now that you're president, don't ever use your position. He said, great leaders are great because people trust and respect them, not because they have power. Amen. Said, the highest thing in the world as a leader is to have power, not to use it. How about Vicki, Joe, you guys have any, any regrets? You like Anything you'd like to add to that? Yeah, I have a uh, part is, is I wish I had learned this earlier in life. I wish I had learned it in other situations so that I could have made better decisions for myself mm -hmm. because I didn't know what I didn't know at that time. But I will say that the, the piece about self-care, I've, I've not given myself a lot of grace and I'm trying to <laughs> learn how to do that. So that would be uh, part of the regrets that I have. Little, little Ego's Anonymous program. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yo, anything? Um, I don't think, I don't know. Um, I think the, um, I think I've learned, I learned a lot from the mistakes that I've made in my career. And I think, I kind of, I think back to those and I'm, I'm like, I don't think I would have gone to where I've gone without those mistakes. So, um, I don't know, I can't pinpoint anything. Maybe taking up smoking, that's the one regret I really have, but I'm 73 days without a cigarette, so. All right. All right, thank you guys, thank you. We have a next question out there. I just had one more uh, for all three of you. What keeps you up at night? Oh, can I start? <laughs> I hate following these guys. Oh my God, these, these three, my God. Um, the, the things that uh, keep me up at night are, are the, my, my kids and, and the other kids in, in our tribe. And, and I think about what, what's going on in our community and how, um, how we're trying to embrace and rebuild our culture and our traditions um, the things that are ravaging our community, those are the things that keep me up and, and those are the things that drive me in the morning. I have to take all of that stuff going on in our community and I know that our company is the only thing providing the resources to tackle all of those issues and um, so that's just a powerful, really meaningful thing when, I'm, when, I, when I go to work in the morning. So I think that's, that's what keeps me up. I think what keeps me up is this racism that has come back, this divisiveness that has come back, this inhumanity that we show to each other. I think I said this morning that as a, a, a kid growing up in the 60s and in Memphis, Tennessee, I didn't think we'd be here. I never thought we'd be having these conversations. I never thought that, that we would be where we are. I think we thought that once we had access and once we could go to any school that we want to, and that people would get a chance to know us for who we are, and we could communicate with people heart to heart. So it bothers me that my 13-year-old grandson is having to live in a time now that I feel is much more divisive than the one that I grew up in. And, and so that's what keeps me up at night. I think what keeps me up at night is the press. I, I think that we aren't reporting any good news. I think there are good things going on. I mean, I think like we have problems, but I think there's so many good things. I, I gave a talk at the, at the national meeting of uh, First Tee. They've impacted 10 million young people with golf and teaching character. And 
I had never heard of it. And, and why don't we report good news? Uh, and uh, it just doesn't, it just doesn't happen. And I, I think uh, this whole concept, I was on a program years ago with Walter Cronkite and got to know him, what a sweetheart he was. And he told me, Ken, he said, I thought my job always was to report the news, not to make it. Mm -hmm. And now we have people looking for bad news stories that they, that they can blow up and all. And I think we need to not avoid issues but I think we need to, when we have an issue, report, because there's some people that are doing some good things on those issues that we could all learn to. And so I'm very sad about the press. Just to, to add to that, I'm on the board of a group called Youth Volunteer Corps. And they have young people in communities all over the country who do community service work, volunteer work, and they had a conference for all the kids, and some are from Canada, 500 kids, the press didn't come. That's right. Now, if two of them had gone out and started fighting in the parking lot, the press they would have been on CNN. They would have been everywhere. But you have 500 kids doing projects, committing themselves to community service, learning about diverse communities, and just doing wonderful things, and couldn't get the press there. Yeah. So I, I totally yeah. agree with you that yeah. there's, there's lots of good stuff going on. Yeah. First thing I thought of with that question was my cat. He wakes up at 3 o'clock every morning, decides to howl in the neighborhood and makes all kinds of weird noises. And Lori, my wife, wears earplugs so she doesn't get to hear it. The other morning she, she texted me and she said, and I said, good morning. She says, well, it's really afternoon because I've been up since 3. And I kind of chuckled a little bit. Um, but you know, it, it, it's, to add on to what's said here, I think for me it's, we've lost the fascination for the truth. And um, my travels around the world, and um, a great example was that I was in Harare, uh, saw a demonstration of probably 20 people. And cameras all in front. And when they put it on the news that night, the next day it looked like thousands of people. And I thought, where's the truth? It's 40 people, it's 40 people. But it's 1,000 people, it's 1,000 people. But I think today we, we want to skew what we say and make it our opinion to get to that ideology that we believe in instead of thinking about people and being truthful with ourselves. Um, and I think that's what keeps me up at, at night. Yeah. Great question. It gets back to servant leaders. If people, newspapers, and some of them are, are good, we're there to serve, not to be served. Sure. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, and to serve the, the good news and and help solve problems, that would be really powerful. Yep. Who else has a question? I see Clint running. He, he must have saw a hand. All right, there we go. Hi, I'm Suzanne from American Airlines, so thanks for making all the jokes about Southwest. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I, I mostly get servant leadership. My challenge is bringing back to the people at American Airlines, the other leaders, what is that tangible elevator statement about what servant leadership is? People are having a difficult time kind of getting their heads around the concept that may not necessarily be drawn to understanding what serving their teams means. So do any of you have just kind of that little elevator speech to get people to, to grasp what it is? I think the elevator speech is it's, it's about we, not, not me or I, 
Now, you're kidding about Southwest. One of the, I, I got six, seven million miles on American. But you unions, you fight with each other. You know Southwest is 87% union? And when they came to Herb and said they want us to vote union, he said, great, if you can sit on the same side of the table as me, vote for me. If you can't, then vote against him. Every meeting I've been at Southwest, all the union leaders are there voting on taking salary things and all, and you all are fighting with each other. How can you, an American or any company, get to we rather than mm -hmm. us against them kind of thing? That's the important thing. Boy, and I've written letters to your presidents and all, and they pat me on the head. I'd be happy to help you. I got so damn many miles with you. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, so, uh, but that's, that is, how do we get it to we from them versus us and that kind of thing? And, and I'm, I, I don't want to, sorry to pick on you all, but uh, it it's, it's happens in so many organizations. It's, it's the, the, the other rather than we. How can we get, get us all together? That's the whole key thing. And stop saying, you know, because of your color, because of your union, because of this and all. Wow, we are so blessed to be living in, in the live today. How can we get to we? You know, earlier we were talking about everybody wants a place at the table. And I think... Um, that means that when you have challenges as a company, you bring in the experts. I'm not talking about the outside experts, I'm talking about the people who do the work. And when you start listening to the people who do the work in your organization, that's when you're gonna see some change. And a group of senior leaders aren't gonna, aren't gonna in my company, aren't gonna solve a manufacturing problem we have in a process on the floor. Go talk to the people on the floor who do the work. Ask them their opinion. What do I need to change? What do I need to do? What do I need to invest in? And once you start investing in them and showing them you really care about them, that's when you're gonna see that change. And that's the elevator speech for me. When, you, when people really know you care about them, they are gonna do things for you that will blow your mind because they're gonna give back. But you have to care first, yeah. God, God didn't make any junk. No. I didn't make any junk. No, nope. yeah, nope. got to do that. It's interesting. We heard John Ortberg in this conference. We, Art was just with, with a lead like Jesus conference we had, but he said that the key three things that have driven his life is, is everybody's welcome. Yes. <laughs> Nobody's perfect. perfect. Yep. And together, with the good Lord, we can accomplish anything. And if we just would remember that, I think that's pretty powerful stuff. Everybody's welcome. Nobody's perfect. I'm, I'm going to add one more. We, we helped a company back east. They, did, they asked us to come in to do training with three different levels. The first level we met with was the, the, the lowest level of leaders with people who were doing the work. And we walked in the training room, there was a little box of donuts and a little bit of water, and that was for us. There wasn't anything for the people. Next level of leaders came in, they didn't add anything to the room. There wasn't anything for them. There weren't tables to write on. There weren't, you know, stuff that worked that, that, that said we can invest in you. We went upstairs and did some training over lunch, and I saw executives that had a buffet of food, any dessert they wanted, anything to drink they wanted. 
And they wanted to know, how come people here don't feel we care about them? Uh, duh. Duh. Yeah, that's the name of the you know, book. <laughs> uh, that story will be in the book. Now. <laughs> the CEO didn't come to the lunch. I got an opportunity to meet him after the lunch. When I went to the CEO's office, he physically, and I kid you not, stood in the doorway and blocked me from going in his office and continued to pull the door closed as I was talking to him about servant leadership. Oh my gosh. I went, that leader's looking for a miracle because he's about ready to lose his job. He doesn't want to implement servant leadership. He wants a quick fix so he can save his tail. That's all I care about. Do some things differently and show people you care. Yeah, yep. I think it's about valuing people and having empathy and meeting people where they are. My journey may not be your journey, yours may not be mine, but I just need to meet you where you are and, and I need to be okay with who you are and find value in it because I have something to learn from everybody. I have something to learn as much from a millennial or a Generation Z person as they have to learn from me. And so I really believe it is really about finding value in every person. And that's what a true servant leader does. Yeah, and we're in the, we're kind of lucky, we're in the gambling and, and hospitality business, so we boiled ours down to make work fun. So if you're a leader, that's your, that's your number one job in the morning when you walk through the door. Those, those three, five, ten people that report to you for the six, eight, ten hours that they're there on their shift, you have to make work enjoyable. So the focus for every leader in our company, first and foremost, is how am I going to make the work environment enjoyable today? How am I gonna serve them? And a lot of that gets in, from there it boils down to the relationship that I have with each of those people. What do I know about Vicki that's gonna make work fun today? So we try to capture all of the different elements of the relationship with our folks. And, and that's really what we spend most of our, our time on. You know, when you talk about fun, the traditional style of leadership, people not having much fun. No. <laughs> There's not much joy. And I, I really like the idea that serving leaders bring joy, joy and help people to experience joy. You, you can tell when you're in the company of a servant leader. They, they make you laugh. They make you feel good. You're not intimidated. Your heart's not palpitating and all of that. There's no fear. There's joy. It's crazy. We had, uh, I'll tell this one real quick. I know we're... Uh, we had a, um, an IT consultant that was up on our, on our C, C floor at our, at our offices, and they came walking around the corner, and we had the music. You remember this time? We, I mean, this was like a couple weeks ago. We had the music just blaring up there, and we're all like dancing. Somebody's, you know, our general counsel's rapping some Kanye West over here. <laughs> Kanye's dancing, and the IT consultant came around the corner and was like, what the hell is going on here? You know, and, and we're like, what? Who are you? <laughs> you know? But they just couldn't believe, like, that, um, you know, that's the way we start our day. You know, we want to get, get stuff going, get stuff moving. And it's, but it's shocking to people, I think, sometimes when you're, when you're having fun at work and the, the value that that brings. Mm -hmm. One final thought, I just, your comment about Joy. I have a little dog that we named Joy. And the reason I did is Fred Smith, who was a wonderful businessman from Texas, wrote a wonderful book called You and Your Network. And he said, real joy is when you get in the act of forgetfulness about yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think dogs help you forget about yourself. 
I mean, you know, no accident the dog spells God backwards because Joy could care less about yesterday. I mean, that's already been taken care of and she could care less about tomorrow. It's right now and I haven't seen her for about seven days. When I see her tonight, she's not going to go, where have you been? You said you're only going to be gone four days. And I think if you had your goal that you wanted your people when they come to work going, <laughs> you know, because they're, they're coming for joy. And it happens when you as a leader get in the act of forgetfulness about yourself. Right, exactly. Yep, yep, amen. You know, power and control leaders take themselves way too seriously, yeah. Yeah. way too seriously. I have been known to wear SpongeBob earrings. <laughs> I have SpongeBob earrings and I have a Wonder Woman ring and uh, I have been known to do that. And even my grandson who says, cause you know, he's way beyond SpongeBob now because he'll be 13 in three weeks. <laughs> and he says to me, Grandma Vicky, you're a professional. Why do you wear, I said, do you know what a professional is? And he goes, well, yeah, you're professional. Why do you wear SpongeBob earrings? It's gonna make people think that you're dumb. And I said, well, I hope people don't think that I'm dumb. I said, but you know what? I get a lot of joy out of them. And I like SpongeBob. And I just think it's just a fun thing to wear. 25 years ago, I would have thought that you wouldn't take me seriously if I showed up with SpongeBob earrings and a Wonder Woman ring on. And now I'm kind of like joy. I don't care. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <Yep. laughs> oh, some of you in the room know that uh, Vicki has a set of bags that has her own personality, right? Yep, yep, to travel in the country, the bags talk about how they get tired and blah, 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 can't keep up with her. And, and Vicki didn't, you know, she kind of touched on a, a little bit, I think, but uh, maybe she didn't about, she got stuck in a bus because of an accident. Um, and she was stuck there for how many hours? 27 hours on Highway 40. 27 hours Nashville and in Memphis, a bus. In an ice storm. Oh boy. Ice yeah. storm. And people were asking how the bags were. Yes. yes. What do you mean how the bags are? Vicki said, what about me? <laughs> what about the person? Right? So she's a very entertaining lead, uh, teacher in leadership. Uh, and I, I love her and her bags. So we have time for one more question. Who, who has a question? One more? Down front, do we have a microphone down? We're coming. They, they, they thought I was gonna stop and I'm, we're having so much fun I don't wanna quit. <laughs> you don't have anywhere to go, do you, Ken? No, I'm not going anywhere. You're not going anywhere? Okay. Go ahead, you right. say it and then I'll repeat it. Right. <laughs> um, so for those of us who are leading from where we're at, it might not be in an organization that is supportive of the servant leadership ideals, um, what would be your biggest suggestion for us to maintain energy and direction um, and to, to keep that intent going? Mm -hmm. The question she's asking, suppose the people in the top are supporting servant leadership and you want to, well, first of all, do it where you're planted. Make a difference for your people. And then people will start to maybe notice the performance you're getting, you know, a lot of times people come to a conference and they want to go up the hierarchy and say, you ought to do this. No, don't do that uh, because you, all you have is personal power when you're dealing with position power. You better develop a relationship first. But I always recommend if you come back and you're excited about something, say to people, here's something I heard and learned that I'm kind of fascinated about and I'd love to share it with you to see if it makes any sense to you all. 
and all, and all, but uh, do it where you're planted and, and make I statements, not you statements. You guys wanna to add to that? Sure, yeah, I mean, when the, uh, what was helpful, I think for me was to find, was to find peers that you thought you could also convince. But I love what Ken said, like sooner or later, your team is just standing out. And everybody's going, well, what the hell is that person doing? Like, why, why, are, they, why are they performing at such a high level? And then more and more people st start to take note. But the more peers you can educate, the more peers you can convince to read gung-ho or raving fans or whatever you're, whatever you're gobbling up to get your information, um, I think that's, that's helpful. The more peers you can kind of wrap in. But sooner or later, people notice. Don't give up commune, find other people who think, and there are, even though the environment may not encourage it, there are people who think like this. There are people who want to do this. And it doesn't have, it should not be an us and them thing, but it really should be that you just, you create this community of positivity, this community of value, this community of caring about each other. And when we're in a community like that, and I'm not talking about geographical, community, when we commune like that, our performance just goes up. Our, our, our anxiety goes down and, and we just become different people. This is that transformation uh, that happens. And it may just be one other person, but just don't ever give up. Just keep moving. Yeah. And it doesn't all have to be about performance. It can be about, I'm gonna celebrate birthdays. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna you know, get together, we're gonna, we're gonna bring our background lunch and, and sit down and talk and have a good time together or give your team a chance to go create a small group and talk about things without you and, and let them have that safe environment and do things a little bit differently. And then the results will come. And when you draw that attention and somebody else outside the group says, what is going on down there? Because I want what they have. And when people start saying, I want what you have in your group, that's gonna, it's, it's gonna get momentum and ball's gonna get rolling and um, the higher ups aren't gonna be able to stop it. And that's the best part, part, part to watch is when people start building trust and working together and having fun together and getting results, what are they gonna complain about? I mean, there's nothing to complain about, yeah. It's interesting to see what, when you start to do some things, people look at you strange, like Steve Kerr, who's the, leads the Golden State Warriors, He's getting criticized now because when they call timeout, he doesn't go out and meet with the team. He lets the guys on the floor meet with themselves. And uh, Casey Jones used to do that you know, with the Celtics, and he invited me to a practice because he was a big one-minute manager. That's when you know he had Bird and Havlicek and all those guys. And I said, how do you coach all these superstars? He said, I throw the ball out, and every once in a while I yell, shoot. <laughs> so that so often once you prepare your people, their people worry that what am I gonna think of? Because I look like I'm not in charge anymore. No. Let them be in charge. I thought it was really wonderful to see what Curse doing with that. We're only in charge of ourselves. We're not in charge of other people. And all we can do is lead by example and continue to walk this servant leader journey and believe it or not, there'll be people who start walking with you and you have your whole group going along. We're, we're, on, we're not in charge, doesn't matter what our title or anything is, we're not in charge of anybody. All right, can we give it up for Ken, Vicki?
We hope you enjoyed this episode. Registration for our upcoming 2019 Servant Leader Conference is open. The theme this year is, Are You Able? It's a simple question that holds a lot of weight. Visit our website at www.servantleadershipinstitute.com to get all the details about how to register. Thank you once again for allowing us to add value to your day.